Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. Okay, so let's turn again to Ephesians chapter 3. In the message this morning, we're mostly going to uh, look at from verse 13 down to the end of the chapter. chapter. And he says, I, I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which, he says, is, is your glory. Verse 14, he says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. It says that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. When somebody becomes a believer, the Holy Spirit of God comes to dwell in them. Your body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit. Something different from you, separate from you, a part of God, He takes and puts within you. Which means that the believer has access now to a power that the world doesn't understand, doesn't, you know, it doesn't really care about anyway. Uh, it's not a power to, you know, run for 90 yards. It's not a power to lift great weight. It's not a power to destroy an army. It's not that kind of a power. But it's a spiritual power. It's a, it's a spiritual might that is described there. And... He's describing that throughout the the next several verses. You see in verse 17, he says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend. Now, he talks about the Spirit being there in the inner man. He also says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Likewise, the, that Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ. We can say that as, as believers, Christ dwells in us. But you know, there's, there's different kinds of dwelling. Uh, there's a sense in which, as a believer, when Christ comes to dwell in you, there's a sense in which Christ always dwells in you and, and never leaves. Uh, again, there's a, there's a security there. But, If that's what Paul's talking about here, why would he say that he's praying for them that Christ would dwell in them? He knows these are believers, right? There's a a different kind of dwelling. Um, You know, for instance, if if, uh, you go and stay in a 
in a hotel room somewhere. You dwell for the night in that, in that hotel room. But that's very different from how you dwell in your own home, right? Um, when you're in your own home, then you're, you're at home. You're, you're comfortable. You're, I mean, that's the place where you, where you dwell, where you live. And Christ dwells in all believers in the sense that he's, you know, he's spiritually present. Uh, in in every believer. But what Paul is praying here is not just that Christ would be present, but that Christ would be able to be at home in you. You know, there's some believers where Christ is present in them, but you look at the, the things that they're doing, the things that they're uh, spending their time thinking about and, and just the way they're living their life, and you can bet that, you know, Christ is present, there, if they're a believer, if they believe the gospel, regardless of how they're living their life, but do you think Christ is at home in that? See, here when he's saying that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, it's that that you would be growing spiritually in such a way that Christ is, is you know dwelling there like you dwell in your own home, not like you're a stranger in you know in some some uh, room that's available for the public or a stranger in somebody else's home, but that you're in your own home. Is your is your life, is your body, is it is it your home where Christ is a guest or is it his? Does it belong to him? Does he dwell in your heart by faith? He says that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. That verse, verse 18, is a verse that used to, used to confuse me a little bit. Because you see there's four dimensions. It appears there's four dimensions there in that verse. Right? Not, not three, but four. Um, and, and I think, what's, you know, oh, there's another, there's an extra dimension in that verse. You know, and think of it in kind of a, a science fiction sort of sense. But that's not really, that's not really what it is at all, because there's not actually four dimensions in that verse. But if you look at it, okay, there's breadth and length. But when you talk about depth and height, those are both in the same dimension, right? It's just that one is a measurement going down and one is a measurement going up. Right? So if you have breadth and length, depth and height. Because what he's describing there is he's not describing, you know, some, some three-dimensional object out in space like this. What he's describing is he's describing the fact that uh, the, the body of Christ is likened to a building. Uh, go over to, go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now there's a, a couple different, um, different analogies used here in these verses, but 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9 says, For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, 
because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he has built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. Yet so as by fire know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. And uh, you see, he describes there a, a building. Uh, he says that, now this is the Apostle Paul writing as well. He says that it, it was given unto him as a wise master builder. Now the master builder isn't the guy who, uh, you know, uh, carts the wheelbarrow around and, and, you know, does all of the, all of the menial labor. The wise master builder is the architect. And you see that in Paul's epistles, there's a plan that's laid out. There's a, a pattern that's laid out for the body of Christ. And because Paul is, is the one that God used to reveal that, he says, I as the wise master builder. And he says, I've laid the foundation. Isn't it interesting? He doesn't say there, Peter and James and John laid the foundation. They were, they were around long before Paul was. He says, I've laid the foundation. Because the gospel of Christ, you don't find back in, in the four gospels. You don't find the, the gospel of Christ or the gospel of the grace of God in those other places. You find it in Paul's epistles. Right? You don't, you don't have, for instance, the, the, the redemption through Christ's blood. You read through the book of Acts. You don't see that preached until after Paul's on the scene. Right? God, God revealed some things over time, and the fullness of the gospel isn't revealed until you get to Paul. And so he can say, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. Now understand, Paul is not the foundation. He says, verse 11, other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the foundation, but there's more about Jesus Christ than what you have in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Right? There's Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that you find in, in Paul's epistles. By the time you get to the end of Paul's epistles, then you've got the, that full revelation of Jesus Christ. And so Paul says Jesus Christ is the, is the foundation, but he says we're, we're building upon the foundation. You realize the things that you do every day are building on that foundation. But you see, there's two ways to build on the foundation. He lists two different kinds of, of materials there. You can build with gold and silver and precious stones. That's building according to God's Word. Or you can build, build with wood, hay, and stubble. That's building according to the flesh. That's, that's trying, that, that may even be legitimately trying to serve God, but trying to do it out of our own effort instead of doing it according to God's Word. And so you can build with those two things. And what he describes here is that there's going to come a day where that building is put to the test. And God puts it to the test, he says, by fire. Now, you, set fire, you put fire to that building, and what's going to happen to the wood, hay, and stubble? It just burns up. The gold, silver, and precious stones remain. Now, what he's describing there is that judgment seat of Christ. It's not, a, it's not a literal fire he's describing there, but he's describing the judgment seat of Christ where we're judged for the things done in the body and some things are going to just 
be of no worth and and those we don't carry with us into eternity, but some are going to be gold, silver, and precious stones. Those things that God has, has done through us uh, are going to be gold, silver, and precious stones that remain. And it says if any man's work remain, he'll receive a reward. Now, lest anybody get confused and think that this judgment is having to do with salvation, uh, look again at verse 15 where it says, if any man's work shall be burned... Somebody gets saved, they believe the gospel, and yet all they ever do is build with wood, hay, and stubble. It says, if any man's work shall be burned, he suffers loss. What does he lose? He loses all that effort. All those dead works are just, are just gone. They have no, they have no, uh, uh, bearing on eternity. They're just, they're just done away with. He suffers loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. You understand the issue there is not whether somebody is saved or not. You know, the issue at this judgment is not whether you're going to the, the lake of fire or, or uh, eternity with Christ. The issue here is for saved people, what kind of, what kind of work did you do? What kind of, uh, how did you build on that foundation? And, and you see a building, if you go back to our text, so we're all working on a building every day, every moment. The things that we're doing are, are playing a part in that. But as he's describing a, a building here, you know, a, a building, uh, mostly what you think of when you see a building is what you see above the ground. But you realize, especially a big building, the higher up you go, the farther down you've got to go too. Uh, when you, when you, uh, you know, go through Chicago or, or, uh, you look at New York City, you see those big skyscrapers. You don't realize you're only seeing half the building because that building has to go down into the ground as well. Uh, it won't, it won't stay. If you just took and built something like that on top of the ground, uh, it wouldn't, it wouldn't last very long. It's got to have a foundation. And here as he, as he prays for those believers that they would be rooted and grounded in love, and as he talks about these dimensions here, there's breadth and length and, and depth. It's rooted, it has a foundation. And there's height. Some things are, are, are lifted up and, and visible. Uh, so that's not, you know, that's not some uh, science fiction uh, fourth dimension there in that verse. Uh, but it's describing uh, the dimensions of a, of a, a spiritual building that's being built. And Paul prays that they would be rooted and grounded in love, that they would be able to comprehend the dimensions of that building, that they would be able to understand the plan. Because you start building something without a plan, and it's not going to work very well. And uh, that's what he's saying, that they would comprehend what are the, you know, what are the dimensions? What are the, what's the plan of that building? And verse 19 says, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. To know the love of Christ. Now, here's, here's a verse that's somewhat paradoxical. To know the love of Christ, which passeth Knowledge. And, and the word, that word passing there, it means like to surpass. 
He's, he's praying for the Ephesians that they would know something that goes beyond what you can know. Now, maybe that doesn't make sense to you. Maybe it does make sense to you. Uh, I mean, certainly the part about, about the love of Christ surpassing knowledge, passing knowledge, uh, I hope makes sense to you. But he prays for them that they would know that thing that passes knowledge. That's not something you're going to, you know, you're, you're not going to uh, learn that uh, by, you know, buying some book on Amazon.com that's going to tell you how to, how to think positively and, and be a better person. That's something that's only apprehended spiritually. It's something you only, you only get to spiritually, and you can only get from a spiritual book. And there's only one book like that, and that's the Word of God. That's where you're going to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. It passes knowledge in the sense that you're not, you're not going to reason yourself to the love of Christ. You, you can go read all kinds of brilliant philosophers and, you know, very intelligent people. Uh, you can, you can read the ancient philosophers, and, and these were people, uh, who, you know, just their, their human, intellect uh, is, a, is an impressive thing. But for all that intellect, where they get to, they don't get to the love of Christ. They don't, they don't come to comprehend the love of Christ. Uh, people like, like uh, Socrates and Plato, those men died in their sins apart from the love of Christ. It's something you're not going to get to just, just by reasoning things out and, and uh, acquiring knowledge. It's something that passes knowledge. And that, that goes back to the beginning of what he prayed for them. That's why he's saying they need to be uh, strengthened with all might by his spirit in the inner man. It's some, there's something that has to come from outside of you that gives you access to what it's talking about here. And so as Paul thinks about those Ephesian saints, I'm sure there were sick people among the Ephesian saints. I'm sure there were people with money problems. I'm sure there were people with all kinds of different problems. But above all of that, what he prayed for them was that they would know some things and understand some things. See how, how important the Word of God ought to be in our lives? Because as Paul prays that for them, as he prays it, he knows that it's, it's, that's not something automatic. That's not something where God is just going to come in and override their free will and kind of kind of uh, erase their memory banks and replace it with the Word of God. He knows that that's only going to happen. They have a part to play in that. He's praying to God that these, that these things would be true of them. He's praying to God that God would do these things for them. But he knows that's not going to happen without them spending time in God's Word. That's not going to happen without them put, you know, keeping themselves in close contact with the things of the Word of God so that that... that Spirit in them uh, can grow in its influence over them. All right, and uh, that you know, along with all the other things that we pray about, that ought to be what we pray for each other. As you look around at one another and, and you think about, you know, what can I, what can I pray for that person? Don't just look at the outward things. Again, be concerned about those things. Uh, often, oftentimes when we are the you know, the weakest physically, those are often turning points in our lives. Those can be times where we get 
closer to God, rely on Him more fully, they can also be times when we turn away. Uh, those are, you know, when somebody's going through some tragedy, certainly a time to be praying for them. But more than just praying that God would remove the, the circumstances or fix the problem or, or whatever, keep in mind what the Apostle Paul prays here. I want you to go to uh, one more passage before we close. Go to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. When you consider what Paul's praying for those Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 3, uh, a, a passage like this one that we'll close with, uh, again, maybe helps to, to kind of tie things up um, neatly for us. Uh, we won't read the whole passage here in chapter 12, but but Paul is describing, it's kind of a, it's a little bit of an enigmatic passage. People people uh, kind of argue about what some of the things mean there because Paul talks about this man that he knew in Christ. Some people think he's actually talking about himself, but whether he is or not, he, he says he knew this man in Christ and he says whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. Um, Paul had, so, I mean, he doesn't say he had an out-of-body experience there, but he doesn't know if he did. So I knew this man, I don't know whether I was in the body or not. Um, but, but he talks about how this man was caught up into paradise, uh, heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Uh, he said, verse 5, he says, of such an one will I glory. He says, I'll glory about this this guy that was caught up into paradise, of such an one will I glory. He says, yet not of myself will, or of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. That's kind of a weird thing. He says, okay, I'll glory in that guy that was caught up into paradise. But he says, I won't glory in myself except in my, my infirmities, my weaknesses. That's what infirmities are, my weaknesses. Paul says, I'm not going to glory in my strength. He says, if I'm going to glory in myself, it's going to be in my weaknesses. Well, how, how do you glory in your weaknesses? Verse 7, he says, lest I should be exalted above measure... Through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. It would be very easy for somebody like Paul, to whom God revealed. God revealed things exclusively to Paul that he'd never told to anybody else before. It would be very easy for him to get lifted up and, and think highly of himself. He says to keep that from happening... There was a, a thorn in the flesh that was given to him. He doesn't tell you what it is. People, people surmise about what it was. Some think maybe it was, uh, you know, a problem with his eyes or something, but that's all guesswork. Uh, you don't really know what it is. Um, he, he says it's a, a messenger that's literally an angel of Satan. Uh, the, the word there would be angelos. Uh, it's literally an angel, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. And verse 8, he says, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. Because that's what we do, right? We have a thorn in the flesh, and we say, Lord, take it away from me. I don't like this thorn in the flesh. I don't want this thorn in the flesh. Take, take it away from me. 
Sometimes we have really good reasons for the Lord to take it away. Just think how much more we could serve Him without this thorn in the flesh, right? That's what Paul does. He, he besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. Now, he gets an answer to prayer different from how you're going to get an answer to prayer and that the Lord you know, literally, literally speaks to him. But notice what he says to him. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. First, he says, my grace is sufficient for thee. Not my grace plus removing the thorn in the flesh. Not my grace plus healing all your sicknesses. Not my grace plus fixing your money problems. Not my grace plus all these. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. You may not think it. You may not always think it's sufficient. But he says, it's, it's sufficient for you. And he says, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now there's another paradoxical thing. How can strength be made perfect in weakness? It's because His strength is made perfect in our weakness. If I'm strong and I do some great thing, that was just that was me being strong. But if I'm weak and God does some great thing through me, then it's not me because I was weak. I couldn't do it. It's His strength. It's His strength made complete. His strength made perfect. So Paul concludes from that, first of all, he stops praying for the Lord to remove the thorn in the flesh. And instead, he says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. If I have to be weak for his strength to be made perfect, then let me be weak. Then I'll glory in the infirmities, I'll glory in the weaknesses because that glorifies him. Because that means if something gets accomplished, it wasn't me, it was him, and God gets all the glory. So when he's praying for those Ephesians that they would be strengthened by, by his spirit in the inner man, in order for that to happen, they have to be weak. He's not, he's not saying that they would go out just, you know, obviously strong where people could say, oh, look at those strong Ephesians. No, it's look at those weak Ephesians, but look at what God's power is doing in them. And Paul said he could glory in his infirmities. That's hard to glory in infirmities. It's hard to glory in infirmities because we don't like the infirmities. We, we want what Paul wanted there. We want it to go away. But think about the opportunity for God to be glorified in that weakness and in that infirmity. And so Paul, Paul says, uh, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. I am become a fool in glory. A fool in the world, world's eyes. When you glory in your infirmities, the world looks at that and says, what? That doesn't make any sense. Why? You know, glorying in infirmities. Uh, but Paul says, I'm become a fool in glorying, because he could glory in the in the weaknesses. He could glory in the infirmities because the power of Christ could rest upon him. Now, those are some those are some deep and, and weighty things, but I hope though you know, considering those verses, that as you go through problems, tribulations, Paul wasn't worried that he was going to faint in the tribulation because 
he could glory in it. But he was worried those Ephesians would look at him and they would faint because of his tribulations. And he's praying for them that they would be built up in the inner man so that those things wouldn't wouldn't affect them. And they could they could glory in weakness like he had learned to do. He had to go through a lot of pain, a lot of suffering to do that. But uh, he learned that lesson. Let's close there with prayer. Lord God, we pray that you would give us the proper perspective on the, the things that we go through in life and the things that others go through. We pray that uh, you, would, you would strengthen us as Paul prayed for the Ephesians. And uh, we pray that for, for one another as well. We pray that uh, we, we wouldn't always be so focused on the outward, on the physical. We would recognize the, the spiritual power that we have available to us through your spirit that dwells in us. Uh, and we pray that that spirit would have free reign in our lives, that we would be weak so that you could be strong. We thank you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.